0: Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is February 27th, 2014. This is broadcast number 60. And we are, as most of you know by now, we are focusing and highlighting uh, our annual Spring Theology Conference that is coming up on March 10th through the 13th. Uh, That conference will be kicked off with a series of lectures by O. Palmer Robertson right here at the seminary. So if you are coming to the conference and you've never had an opportunity to see the seminary building, the campus, um, I would encourage you to come to those two pre-conference lectures that will be held right here at the seminary. That starts on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And there's, like, like I said, two sessions we have been highlighting the conference in the last few podcasts and talking with some of the speakers that will actually be here about their conference topic. And we've been summarizing, more or less, what they're going to be discussing. Uh, if you want to get the full-blown discussion, you want to come to the conference. And so you can still register for the conference. Simply go to our website at gpts.edu, all the information is available there the topic this year is the doctrine of providence specifically titled god's works of providence and uh this morning i have the pleasure of talking once again with dr joseph piper he is the president of the seminary and uh it's interesting dr pipe i was thinking this morning we're talking and we're not answering questions from listeners this time we're going to be talking with you about your lecture topics actually two of them um one interestingly titled the devil made me do it but we'll get to that one in just a minute let's talk a little bit about your first topic you're going to be doing um you as well as a number of other speakers are talking specifically about the doctrine of providence in some way shape or form we have dr mcgoldrick talking about calvin's doctrine of vocation dr shaw who we've interviewed he's dealing with providence and the problem of evil dr anderson he's dealing with a similar topic, but a little bit of a different twist, Calvinism, specifically in The Origin of Sin. And then we have some graduates, uh, Ben Miller, um, who will be speaking, as well as uh, returning again, Dr. Beakey. But you specifically have the, um, well, <laughs> I don't want to say the unpleasant task, but you have the task of dealing with the doctrine of providence and fatalism. So let's start there.
1: All right, Bill, good. It's good to be back with you on the podcast. Let me mention that Dr. Beeky on Tuesday night will be preaching the positive doctrine of providence, laying that out, also looking at the doctrine of providence in the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to celebrate as well the anniversary of the Heidelberg Catechism by means of his sermon. Let me begin with what providence is. I like to define providence is the in-time outworking of God's eternal decree. So God has foreordained all that comes to pass. When we deal with that doctrine, we're simply teaching what the Bible says, that everything that happens in the creation uh, was eternally foreordained by God, not because he saw people would do something, but because he saw because he he foreordained what would happen. Mm. And of course... When people stumble over that, always go to Acts chapter 2, where we have Peter's sermon describing the crucifixion of Christ. And we all would agree that Christ was, in a sense, crucified before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. Did you turn that on? He was uh, uh, foreordained to... Uh, suffer, to become a man, to obey the law of God, to suffer on the cross. But when Peter preaches this truth, he says in Acts 2, 23, this man, referring to Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, there is the eternal decree, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now, I read this in the first place simply to point out that it's not contrary to scripture to say that God has foreordained all things. This is the most wicked thing ever done by men, and yet it was fulfilling God's good and glorious purposes. So in eternity, God decreed all that has come to pass. Our catechism says then that he executes his decree in his works of creation and providence. So God began time, space, and all things as he created Those six days of creation. He brought all things into existence. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3 tells us he completed that work. It was finished. His work of creation was completed, perfect, all very good. From that point forward, he ruled his creation by this doctrine that we call providence. Again, the Catechism says that providence is God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all their actions. So it's the, that's what I say. It's God's end time Executing the things that he has foreordained to happen. In the Confession of Faith, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, paragraph 1, we read God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence. According to his infallible foreknowledge and the free, immutable counsel of his will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And then paragraph 2, although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause of all things come to pass immediately, all things come to pass immutably, infallibly that means unchangeably, without any error, all as God wants it, yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out, that means to occur according to the nature of second causes, Either necessarily, so the sun rises and sets, gravity works. These are patterns that God created. One old writer calls them the habits of God. That's better Mm -hmm. than the laws of nature. He has established these principles, but he's still the one that operates through them, through the necessary causes. Then freely, that uh, the free acts of men are all under God's providence. And then contingently, even those things that we would refer to as chance circumstances are accidents. Hmm. And so this paragraph distinguishes providence, then, from Muslim fate. Yeah, and and that's
0: interesting because the the other half of your lecture is on this issue of fatalism, which Christians have wrestled with. But now with the Islamic Muslim advance in this area, um, it's even more critical, I think, to understand it.
1: It really is, Bill. In fact, a year and a half ago, my wife and I were in a country in Europe, and I was teaching uh, a couple of Muslim converts, Christians. Hmm. And they really stumbled over the doctrine of God's sovereignty because they were trying to do theology against a backdrop of the false theology they'd had. And you, can't, you can never do that. You've got to come back to Scripture and let the Holy Spirit instruct you. Now, Muslims say that uh, Allah has this plan, and regardless of what you do, it's going to happen. So uh, they do want to obey according to their interpretation of the Quran, but uh, they don't think that they really play a significant role. Whereas in the biblical doctrine of providence, we see in the crucifixion of Christ that for that to happen, there were certain things that men did and sinners did. And so Judas betrayed Christ and Pilate condemned him to death, and Jews and the Romans crucified him, and they were guilty for those things. So what Joseph would say to his brothers uh, when they were worried after Jacob died, what he would do in reprisal for the selling Hmm. him into slavery, and he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So God uses means. I illustrate it with children in this manner. You have a purpose, a plan. Let's say you're going to take a family vacation. You're really excited about it. You're going to go to Disney World. So that's the family plan. You're going to go to Disney World. You're going to go to to Disney Disney World (laughs) June the 10th, uh, 2014. Now, if that is the plan and there are no means in that plan to implement it, you will never get to Disney World.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Every plan, human plan, has means and not just the end result. And so it is with the divine plan. God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, but he also has foreordained the means that accomplish what is to come to pass and has wisely, mysteriously incorporated the means into his sovereign good pleasure. Now, Wednesday night at the conference, I'm going to preach about the shipwreck. Mm. This is a very interesting passage in Acts 27 where they are uh, almost two weeks now uh, in this storm. They've gone a long time, not really stopping to eat or rest. And Paul stands up and says to them in verses 21 and following that they should uh, take courage, be of good heart, don't be afraid, because an angel of the God to whom he belongs and serves stood before him and promised him, hear these words, "'Do not be afraid, Paul,' You must stand before Caesar and behold God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Hmm. Therefore keep up your courage men for I believe that God I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've told you. But then we must run aground somewhere. So here's a message from God. Paul gives it with authority. Everybody on the ship is going to be saved. That's a prophecy. But then we read as they begin to get closer to land that the sailors uh, were afraid they were going to go around. And so in verse 30, they were trying to escape from the ship. And they had their pretense. And Paul says in verse 31 to the centurion, the officer of the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Now, there's a difference in providence and fate. Fate Paul wouldn't worry about those men. God's promised that they would run aground, Nobody would be saved, and okay. But Paul knows better. He knows that God uses means. And so he hasn't lost his head. He's not going crazy one minute saying, we're all going to be saved. The next time if the sailors leave, we're all going to die. No, he's simply living out the reality. And, and the book of Acts is full of this. We see it in uh, the gospel. God spreads the gospel, but God uses men to spread the gospel. Uh, The Bible promises that uh, God will feed his people. But Paul says the person in the church doesn't work, doesn't eat. Uh, And so God uses means both in terms of the revealed means of his word and human responsibility just in using the normal means that are ours. Hmm. So that's how I'll look at that Wednesday night and particularly focus on prayer then. And how God incorporates prayer into the prayer. Actually, God uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes is how I say it. You want to come back to the
0: prayer question just because that was a struggle? Well, I'll come back to that. But I want to maybe gravitate towards more of a practical side to these things. I mean, I I think those who listen to this program will probably at least have a pretty good handle on providence maybe. I mean, they're able to read the confession; they have a pretty good understanding of those things. As it pits itself against fatalism, but how do we see that worked out in in our modern context? Um, you know, you read the Acts twenty seven passage and the storm and all that's great, but I mean, I've heard of people who say, "Well, you know, God has promised to provide for my needs, so I'm just going to sit around and wait for God to provide for my needs." Is that fatalism?
1: Well, I just address that?
0: Yeah, and I'm I wanna, the I'm going to address that person doesn't that.
1: work, doesn't eat, that's right? Not, yeah, that's now how's that.
0: How about like the use of medicine and, and doctors gotcha. so we seem kind of have this, yeah. this the, there's a there's a group or an, a, maybe a segment of Christianity that sort of maybe is out of balance.
1: Right, okay. I see where you're going now. Well, we believe the Bible teaches that our days are numbered. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is that God has appointed I'm going to live I'm going to live that long and not a, not a minute longer. So do I go sit down in the middle of a busy highway and say <laughs> that uh, my days are numbered and so I'm not going to die till it's God's time? The one thing I can know for sure if I do that, it's my time. <laughs> I've <I'm> just <laughs> yeah. used foolish means and committed suicide, more or less, is, is what I've done. So uh, we don't know the secret unfoldings of God's purposes. We know He has them. We know they're very specific, even in terms of how long we're going to live, how we're going to die. But we don't know that. And we are then, under the Sixth Commandment, responsible to take ordinate means to preserve our life and the lives of others, mm-hmm. which means that uh, I have to make those decisions. If it's if I need surgery to deal with a problem, and it's not the kind of problem that the surgery maybe won't help at all, say, uh, I had to make those decisions, whether I'm going to have the surgery and it's very dangerous or whether I'm going to not have the surgery because the chances that it would work are not good and it could actually cause further problems. So we have to make decisions, but we don't just—and we prayerfully make those decisions and we seek counsel from godly uh, friends and pastors, elders in making those decisions. But we have to make them, and we don't just simply say, well, I'm not going to do anything if God wants to— Get me through this, or I'll pray that God will heal me. You see, the very next paragraph in the Confession talks about means. Mm -hmm. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without above against them at his pleasure. So he works with means. So if I have a headache, I pray that God will take it away, but I'll take an aspirin. I shouldn't take the aspirin without praying. But why pray and not take the aspirin either? Too many of, uh, Christians today just look to the means and not to God. Hmm. If the headache goes away, God took it away. God can use the means of the aspirin to take away the headache. And so, but He's free to work apart from means as well. And I've seen people uh, completely cured of cancer without having uh, chemotherapy or any organ removed. God took it away, and I believe that at times God does that. So he works without means. Now, he can work above means, and that is using them in a way beyond that which they normally would accomplish, turning water to wine. Mm, He still mm -hmm. had liquid substance, but he did it above the normal process. And then against, well, that would be Elisha raising the axe head out of the water, Mm, against gravity. So God providence doesn't rule out miracles as such when performed by men in the times in Scripture they perform, nor does it rule out God's acting supernaturally in answer to prayer. The very most important thing that we do, though, in all of these things is to pray over the means. I think the problem in America is not fatalism. The problem in America is materialism. Mm. So we use the means, and we're not really pleading with God to bless the means.
0: Yep. Now, you mentioned prayer and when i first became a calvinist which is somewhat related to providence in fact a lot related to providence um i wrestled with prayer i said well if god has ordained all that comes to pass and first time i read the confession and i thought where's this document been my whole life because i never even knew it existed until i embraced doctrines of grace and started understanding calvinism but i really wrestled through prayer i'm like okay if god has foreordained everything then why pray so why pray?
1: Because God uses means, and prayer is one of the primary means that God uses. We should pray first because God commands us to pray. Mm-hmm. God's honored when we pray. When we pray and God blesses those means or works above or without the means, he gets the glory. So whether it's with means or not means, if, if we pray, God's more glorified. If we pray, well, we're commanded to pray in all things with thanksgiving. So we're to pray over everything. So whether we we completely understand that relationship doesn't matter. We're commanded to pray over all things. What the Bible teaches us is that just as my working, earning some money so I can feed myself and my family, pay my rent or my mortgage, is means that God uses to fulfill the promise that he's going to clothe me and feed me. Um, prayer works exactly in the same manner so that uh, uh, God has appointed the prayers that He uses in accomplishing His purposes. I think it's very helpful if some of our hearers actually are wrestling with God's sovereignty in salvation is f- f- ask yourself the question, why do you pray for a lost? Loved one. Mm-hmm. Jay Packer says, when a Christian goes on his knees and prays that God will convert somebody, he's become a Calvinist. And that's so true. Because if you really believed your theology that that person ultimately must make their own choice apart from the changing grace of God, then you wouldn't pray. Right. So faithful Christians pray because intuitively they know that God alone is the one who does things. And so we pray because we're commanded to pray. We pray because God gets the most glory. We pray because God uses our prayers to accomplish the things He's foreordained.
0: Yeah, there's a there's sort of this mysterious interweaving. I don't know how else to express it. Um, I've I found often in in that circumstance, knowing that God has ordained and done it, no question. But at the same time, it's also a true statement that if I don't pray, whatever it is, won't happen either. There's a there's a <sighs> It's so hard for the human mind, finite, to get our minds completely around it. But there's an interweaving between God's ordination, his plans and purposes, and how he's going to work those things out, and my praying within it. Um, I've often found that prayer changes me more than any other aspect.
1: Well, and that's something that, that Pink points out in his chapter in The Sovereignty of God. But look at Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. He's praying, submitting to God's will— Longing for some other thing to happen, but knowing, that. but knowing that that it's going to have to go the course that has been set. But he still prays. Yep. But he's also praying that God will preserve him. It's interesting that he was heard. Uh, human nature could never have borne unassisted mm. what his human nature endured on the cross. And so the cup did pass from him at the end. He drank it. He satisfied the wrath and justice of God, but he was also sustained. He didn't assume he would be sustained because he was the Son of God. He pled with God that he would be sustained. And so in, in the, it's never an excuse to not
0: pray because of the doctrine of providence. Right. Never. Never. Now, practically speaking.
1: You I pray th- until God makes it clear. Clear and we don't pray everything contrary to God's revealed will, right. but otherwise we pray till God makes it clear He's acted in whatever way He's going to act.
0: Right. Now, practically speaking, let's speculate. That's not even the right word. Let's hypothetically speaking, there is no doctrine of providence. What does that what does that practically mean? If we work this out, the doctrine of providence and how critically important it is to our understanding of God and how he works in his universe. How does that practically matter to guys that aren't theologians?
1: Well, it's uh, it's pure chaos, is what it really is. The old deist philosophy was mm. that God created everything, like a clockmaker wound it up and has let it go, and thus we live in a world where uh, the laws of nature and random activity uh, control. Uh, on the other hand, you got pantheism that everything's a part of God, and that mm-hmm. takes away any seriousness of our decisions. So it's either a tyranny of man's freedom, autonomy to choose whatever he wants to choose regardless of his nature, or it's a tyranny that man has no responsibility. There's simply this flowing that's going to work itself out. I put it again very practically. I hear these preachers say, and one look, near here it said one time, a family was killed in a very tragic car accident. A drunk driver swerved across, hit him head on, and preacher said, and he's a Bible-believing man, God didn't mean for that accident to happen. Now, think of the alternatives then. That means I'm living in a world where really bad things can happen to me. God doesn't intend for them to happen. I'd like off right now. You know, no, I don't want to be in a world with uh, drunk drivers and stray bullets and cancer cells uh, that God's not. In control. And if God's not in control, you have, they don't have the promise in Romans 8. All That's things right. work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You can't say they're going to work for your good if God's not in control of them.
0: And you have no guarantee of the end. No. You have no guarantee to be brought safely to heaven. The end, being glorified, right. all of that becomes a hope. A hope of, I hope so, yeah, not, 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 a not hope. the Christian hope that, we, right. that we, we've heard just recently in chapel. The other day, uh, and this is a chance for me to plug this, um, you were interviewed on the Janet Mefford program, which um, those of you who listen to podcasts know right away uh, about that program. It's a, I think it's a three-hour daily syndicated nationwide program. Think of her as the Rush Limbaugh of the Christian Radio Enterprise. Okay, that's the best way I can explain it. But if you don't know anything about the Jen- Janet Mefford program, just Google it. She has her website. I think it's JanetMefford.com. But you were on the program. But it's,
1: it's it's not spelled the way I would have spelled it. It's, it's
0: M E F F E R D E R D. That's right, Janet Mefford. M E F F E R D. But anyway, you were on the program, and I didn't catch the majority of it. But there was one point that she brought out, and I think this is very practical in it as it relates to Providence. She she was mentioning how the the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I think I heard her say that in yeah, passing Robert as was I was as I was uh, tuning in at the last second um, there. How does that bring us comfort, especially in this country, when we see some of the things that are going on?
1: And I addressed that when she brought up that passage that the the heart of the king is in the hands of God. He directs it as a channel of water. Now, water is not something that's easily channeled, but God channels water, and God channels the heart. We see the the positive outworkings of that. We see Pharaoh resisting God's commandment and being constrained to follow it. We see Cyrus. Uh, letting the um, people go back to the land and and paying for Mm. that and for the Mm -hmm. rebuilding of uh, the temple, that whatever a king does, and this begins to move into my second message, Mm -hmm. whatever the king does, he does it not just under God's authority, but he is accomplishing the will of God. Now, the comfort today is we've got leaders in Washington, Washington, Many of us think are ruining our country, are acting in lawless ways, unconstitutional, and really, regardless of what's said, despise Christianity. But what we have to remind ourselves is that that leader can do nothing that God has not ordained him to do. And though he's responsible for his acts, he is fulfilling God's purposes. So we don't need to be uptight. We need to pray, use the other means that God's given to us in the various areas that we would get involved in the country. But political change won't change our country. Mm. We, we want it. We pray for it. But it's only going to be when the church is revived and reformed that we would see the hand of God lifted and not give us such uh, wickedness in high places.
0: So the doctrine of providence isn't just some heady theological thing. It's very practical. And when we think about those kinds of issues, uh, what we see going on in Washington, and and it's easy. I've done it. I think, if we're all honest, we've all done it at some point. We've all gotten antsy and anxious.
1: It's so practical. Christ says there's not a hair on your head that's not numbered. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from God's pleasure. Suddenly there's a train that's stalled on the train tracks, and you're going to be late for an appointment. Well, that was God's will. You don't have to get uptight. Uh, somebody cuts you off rather than get angry with them, yeah, they're responsible, but this was God's, God's will. And so there's a great – I mentioned on her show that after preaching through the book of Job, I really got much less uptight about second causes. Mm. I mean, I want justice, people should be held responsible, but nothing happens in my life, big or small, that God does not intend to happen.
0: It's very yep. liberating. It is. And it's, uh, you know, we, we talk about Romans 8, 28. I, I probably, I've mentioned it on this program before, it's probably the most over-quoted. Well, How do you that's over-quote probably not fair. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's often used. one of
1: people's favorite versions. It
0: is. And, and it, it's gotten so familiar that we've lost, I think it, the, the danger is that we lose the tremendous statement that it makes mm-hmm. as in, in relation to what you just said. Uh, I've made all my plans carefully. I've left for my appointment, and the train comes along, and I'm stuck, and I'm late. And well, I don't like to be late, but who does? And so, is this working for my good? I mean, it's, re- it's really, I mean, when you think about it, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's a pretty insignificant moment. I got stuck by a train. So, but so is it working for my
1: you're, good? You're in a little more patience.
0: That's right that's what my wife will say to me because i'll get i'm prone to get antsy if i'm going to be late that red light why now of all times right and uh i think one of the things that i've said often is that christians should never say this couldn't have happened at a worse time right that's just telling god that he doesn't really oh, know i
1: don't it. need this now
0: right that well, god never, doesn't so know.
1: you do need it now because god sent it now
0: that's right so you're just sad that god doesn't know what is good for me at this moment. Right. And really, that's Romans 8.28. And, and Dr. Piper, you mentioned Genesis 50.20, which is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. You know, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And I think we get so familiar with this concept that we lose the depth, practically speaking. And it's not just a heady theological subject. So it's very practical. And, uh, and as, as pastoral, I mean, how do you minister to a family that you mentioned, uh, family or uh, friends were killed in a car accident, drunk driver. How do you pastorally minister if God is just standing idly by and, oh, well, sorry about that. I was busy over here on this side of the world. How do you, how would you? You've been in the pastorate, obviously. All of our professors here are ordained He'd men. You have nothing
1: to say outside. God will help you now. Right. But he didn't mean for it to happen. Yeah, well, that makes him impotent. So. What help is there in him now?
0: Right. If he couldn't help you then, why can he help you now? Right. Kind of, kind of question, and that's certainly a thinking person is going to think that they're going to be like, well, if he couldn't help me then, why is he going to help me now? How can you point me to him now when he didn't do anything then? and it's a great point. Now, your second lecture topic is is <laughs> an interesting title. Um, it's it's born uh, those who are uh, older. <laughs> Right away we'll recognize it, um, but The Devil Made Me Do It. Is that, how, is that the title?
1: That's Geraldine and Flip Wilson. Routine. Am I quoting? Yeah, the the devil, devil
0: made me do it. The devil made me do it. The emphasis underscore there is on the devil.
1: And of course, that's often abused in terms of I'm not responsible for my sinful acts. I am responsible for my <laughs> sinful acts. I've simply used that title to uh, get to the issue that in every sinful act there are usually three agents. Mm. God, Satan, are a demon, and the person who's committed a sinful act. Uh, the, Satan, the demons have the goal of sinning, but also Satan has a huge strategy of what he wants to accomplish in the world. Uh, the sinner wants to satisfy one of his various lust and sinful desires satan will tempt him with his own lust and with the world system or simply with insinuation into his mind and so there's a, a level there that the center the demons are interacting in sinful acts particularly big sinful acts we don't need the devil to sin we have our own besetting sins and dwelling sin so the bible says we've got satan the lust satan flesh in the world are the three courses at work in us in sin mm. but where is God in all of this well God also has a plan in it and the plan is not that I sin but that my sin would accomplish greater purposes for God so the the, the theological writers call this the doctrine of concursus or concurrence and so I will seek to develop uh, the doctrine with its scriptural basis, why we have to reach the conclusion that God in some way is, uh, not only has foreordained, but is the first agent in all things that occur. But he is not moving or tempting the person to sin. We're going to look at Job 1 and 2 as the case study, where God compels Job, uh, God compels Satan to come into his presence and to give an accounting. God then provokes Satan by holding Mm -hmm. the righteous man before him, knowing full well that if God does that, that Satan is going to respond uh, with uh, a desire to harm Job. And that's exactly what God has foreordained, which the book tells us. What is Job's confession after the first series of attacks Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. Mm. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. So he recognized that, yes, evil men did this. The Sabians and Chaldeans raided him, killed his servants, robbed him. These natural calamities occurred in lightning strikes and a tornado. But and Satan was active in all of that because he leaves God's presence to concoct and execute his plan, but God is behind all of it. Not that not making Satan sin. God didn't put the idea into the minds of the Chaldeans, but we also in him live and move and have our being. We nobody could live a moment, draw a breath, make a decision, exercise any energy or power apart from the sustaining power of God. What would you
0: say to the people who say, yes, Job said that. Yes, it's in the Bible. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave, the Lord took away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But they say, and I've heard this, he was wrong. It's in the Bible, but it's not everything that's in the Bible is accurately stated, if you know what I mean by that, like, well, the like very some of Job's verse, friends. Well,
1: no, the very next verse then says, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And then in verse 10 of chapter 2, and all this Job did not sin with his lips. So I think the Holy Spirit answers that accusation. Job would sin with his lips when he would accuse God of acting unjustly, Mm -hmm. of, of not being his friend. So he began to misunderstand God's role. But in saying that God was behind it, the Bible says Job did not sin, and elsewhere I think it
0: also says that where God was speaking to Satan, and He said, "Why have you incited me to move my hand right. against Job?" Chapter two, without cause. Right. And um, but I wanted to get that in there because the, 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 there tends to be an, an attitude that says, "Well, you know, if it's bad, God didn't do it; God's not involved." At Satan, and we make this strong dichotomy between the two, as though God is almost absolved Himself of any. Responsibility. I, I've run people back to the flood. Which clearly, no question, God sent the flood. He
1: well but the, the difference is the flood is an act of judgment. It is. But it's he still sin. but he still did it. Well yeah, but it's not a sin. It's an act of judgment. Right. But when the Assyrians attacked, murder, rape the Northern Kingdom, that was a sin. But uh, I think it's in Isaiah ten says they were God's acts.
0: They were. Acting yep.
1: in, in, and is his agent. So the Bible teaches these things. Now, let me, in case somebody's mishearing us, the Bible's very clear. God is not the author of, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. He's not seeking sin. He has ordained the sin, but he's not acting as in his capacity as agent. He's not acting in Satan, the Chaldeans, the Sabians, or you and me for us to sin. He is sustaining us. Knowing that we're going to sin and accomplish his purposes, but that is not what he has sought in us. Hmm.
0: That's the mystery. And it's very important to make that, make that very clear. Right. You know, God will test us. God uses testing, and he sends testing our way. And, and temptation, what, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10.13? No, such t- no temptation has taken us, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation. Who's involved? We see when Christ was tempted, the Spirit drove him or led him into the wilderness for what purpose? To be tempted of the devil. Right. So it, it's all, we can't, and I think that's what you're saying, we, we can't compartmentalize these things. Well, that's, it's good, it's God, it's bad, it's Satan, that's it. It just—it'd be nice if we.
1: <laughs> I think it would be nice. Well, it wouldn't if be nice guys. because that means there's a whole realm of life that of sin and evil that god's Shaw's lecture—he'll deal with the painful things in life. He'll deal with the, the cancer and the. Yep. People dying prematurely. I mean, nice like in that. the
0: from the mental thing.
1: I mean, if you're like me, you
0: like to compartmentalize well, everything but, in nice little categories. You got a
1: world where
0: chaos reigns.
1: That's right.
0: Ultimately, and so how does the the the. the I've heard you say on a couple occasions, pray for you as you deal with this doctrine of concurrence because it's a, it's it, you know it's got it's sticky at some level. But how practically speaking, where how does that help? I mean, what what does this doctrine do for us practically?
1: Well, I think it helps us again get the big picture. Mm-hmm. It helps answer a lot of problems in the Scripture. Uh, for example, the evil spirit that was sent to the false prophets in King, King Ahab, the very end of First Kings, I think it's chapter twenty-one. That spirit is sent. It says the Bible sent from the Lord. Mm, mm-hmm. Or to understand Job one and two, to understand these passages where it says God is the one who sends the evil spirit into the heart of Saul, or God is the one who hardens Pharaoh. So it helps us interpret Scripture uh, with a balanced in, in a balanced manner. That this does not absolve the sinner from his activity and responsibility. It Doesn't absolve Satan and the demons. From their responsibility and activity, but it explains to us God's role. But moreover, it just reminds us how big and great and glorious God is, and at the end of the day, we should fall before him in adoration, wonder, and worship.
0: Yeah, and that gives me an opportunity to talk uh, just briefly, um, coupling this with what you dealt with in chapel yesterday, uh, and, and this, this is where the listeners have a little bit of a disadvantage because they didn't hear the sermon, but—
1: but they can I'm, hear it on Sermon Audio. They can go to our website and hear
0: it. Right, and then it's also going to be on the app as well. Um, but the goodness of God. I mean, what, what do you think about when you think of the glory of God? And you know, I, I'll, be, I, I'll be honest with you. I, when I was sitting there, I, I, that wasn't what was going through my head. Maybe it was because I knew the passage you were in, because you had read from it. But it, it, if you had asked me that in the hallway 20 minutes before chapel, would that have been my answer? Probably not. Right. Probably something much different and but when we married that the goodness of god up with his providence and his sovereign directing and ruling for our good his people's good it's it harmonizes so perfectly and so beautifully and almost beyond well there's how many words can you attach to that and capture it ultimately it's just so difficult Well, we look forward to those two discussions especially the second one um but, but they're both going to be good. They're all going to be very good. Uh, you know, this, is a very, this is a very practical
1: doctrine. It's going to be one of our best conferences. And so if you're not registered, please do so and, and join us
0: for these uh, three days. That's right. And you can do it at our website, gpts.edu. Go there. There's a banner right in the. It's right in. You can't miss it. As soon as the page loads, it's right there. God's Works of Providence. Click that, and then all the conference information how to register, where to stay what time, who's speaking, what's going on, uh, the seminary is having a dinner, we have the pre-conference uh, um, lectures from old Palmer Robertson that I've already mentioned, um, it's all right there on that website, so take advantage of it, we've had a lot of good um, responses so far to date, so, and then, so use uh, it.
1: A couple of things, if you're in the area, within 150 miles or whatever, uh, you, you may come to the two evenings dr Beaky's preaching tuesday night i'm preaching wednesday night if you're outside the area both of those will be live broadcast on the web and bill will tell you how to hook into that and then rest of the lectures bill's going to be doing uh, live uh, blogging uh, giving you the essence of the messages and then within a few weeks, we'll begin to release the uh, messages and lectures on Sermon Audio.
0: Yep, the the way to access the live stream for the Tuesday and Wednesday night free, um, as Dr. Piper said, if you're here, come. But if you can't, um, you can go on Sermon Audio. It'll, it's live. It'll be a big red light. Go to our Mount Olive GPTS and Mount Olive section of Sermon Audio, and there'll be a red little indicator says live click on that and you'll get the live stream video in full 720 or 1080 high definition whatever your video card on your computer could handle so um, it's really a fantastic uh, source I've seen it actually work live and in person so it, it's fantastic it's as though you're there um, so if you're living in another country and you want to see that um, make your time zone adjustments do all the things you got to do but you can watch it as it happens uh, through, your live through, blog? Through the sermon audio.
1: How are they going to get to your live blog? The
0: live blog is at the ConfessingOurHope.com website, okay. and it says it right there, uh, Spring Theology Conference 2014. Click on that, and you can follow as the speakers are talking. I will be keying in critical statements they make and, and helpful statements that are being made. Obviously, you're not going to get the whole lecture. I can't type that fast. <laughs>
1: We also, I wish I could. As uh, an enticement for you to come. We have a fantastic uh, bookstore with very deep discounts, and there'll be a number of authors here who will be signing uh, their books. One of the books we're going to feature is the book uh, Letters to Pastors' Wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Beakey and my wife uh, have chapters in that book. My wife, I think I've convinced her to sit and sign copies of the book oh that's great when i'm signing books she'll sign books so yep. uh but there's going to be some great great books uh, available as well
0: yeah reformation heritage books is is coming uh as they've done the last few uh conferences now and so they'll be here with their full contingent of men and books and discounts and so if you're a book nut um <laughs> for no other reason but no Come to the conference. Um, It's going to be one of our best, and um, I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. You'll be blessed, and you'll have great Christian fellowship as well. The whole package um, is going to be there uh, for your benefit. So sign up, register. Registration uh, is available through Tuesday, March 6th online. If for some reason you don't make it by that date, that doesn't mean you're closed out and can't come. You can still come, show up, and you can register on-site. The price does not change. It's the same price. So it's not a disadvantage, as it were. If it's the last second you decide you want to come to the conference, you can register on-site, and um, you can do it right there at the uh, conference venue. So, Dr. Piper, thank you for being on again. Uh, A little different this time. We weren't dealing with questions, but uh, speaking of which, if you do have questions for Dr. Piper, maybe in relationship to this discussion, maybe in relationship to what's going to be happening at the conference and some of the things that the speakers say on this doctrine or other uh, tangential items that get mentioned, you can write us at our faith and practice segment that is on the ConfessingOurHope.com website. Write in, ask your questions, and we will deal with them on the air in our monthly normal segment that we do. So thank you thank again you, for, for being on. It. It. Uh, what's coming up on the pro- program, I really don't know. Um, so just go to the website, and you'll find out all the information there as to what we're trying to get accomplished. As I said, we're we're focused on the conference right now, so so we're releasing these broadcasts pretty quickly after they get done and not our normal one-a-week one type of, uh, system. Uh, after the conference is over, we'll get back to our normal schedule and routine. So um, so use the website and the mobile app, of course. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. And, and, in fact, I probably would have not ever known that Dr. Piper was being interviewed by Janet Mufford at least at that time. I knew it was coming up, but I didn't know it was actually happening live until I got a tweet from Janet Mufford that she was interviewing Dr. Piper. So follow us on Twitter because that's how we get our some of the information out use the social networks to um to your advantage so until next time we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of confessing our hope the podcast of greenville presbyterian theological seminary and god bless